This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode eight. I'm your host, Paul Rakoff. If you've been with me throughout this season so far, you know it's been a journey. We're on the road together through some of the most perilous times in American history. We've ridden into issues that have folks angry nationwide, from electric scooters to public bathrooms to measles. We dug into the shocking rate of maternal death in America, the courageous fights of our heroic 9-11 first responders to get the care they deserve, and a possible war with Iran. I've rolled through the streets of America to hear from real people to see what they're pissed off about. The working people of America, people who don't have a congressional seat, a cable news show, or a podcast. Even in just the first couple months of this show, we're rolling together through some of the craziest times in politics our country's ever seen. And many of you have shared your thoughts on social media using the hashtag Angry Americans, and I appreciate it and I hear you. We've also had some extremely interesting folks along for that ride with us. From Willie Geist to 9-11 hero Rob Sarah, Ron Perlman from Sons of Anarchy, Peter Berg, Sarah Jessica Parker, Agent Pooh, Rachel Maddow. They've all shared their thoughts on the troubling state of affairs in America. And they've also shared where they come from, how they got to where they are, what inspires them, and what color peeps they like most. We've talked about whiskey, and we've heard about their first cars. And like our great American experiment, our journey together across this country in these strange and important times has had some surprises, some great views, and some potholes. But we're continuing to move forward. We're driving on. And for this episode, for Memorial Day weekend... Maybe you're on a long drive right now, off to somewhere cool, listening to this podcast. Or maybe you're chilling on the beach, or getting ready for a family barbecue, or for your city pool to open up. Or maybe you're at work, listening to this show in pieces on your coffee break. And maybe you're deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan, as our country continues to teeter on the edge of war with neighboring Iran. Look, no matter where you are, no matter what color you are, or how much money you do or don't have, we're all in this together. And this show is a place for us all to learn, laugh, process, protest, together. And in this episode, I'm going to try to, again, bring you a topic that's incredibly urgent, one that's got me angry and should have everyone angry. At the end of the show, I've got a simple, important, timely, angry action for you. A place to direct your energy, specific to the summer and Memorial Day. And I've got a very special interview with another fantastic American, Tom Calicchio. Tom's a friend of mine that I met in my journeys as an activist, who, like all my other guests, is an important, 
iconic, or inspiring American. You might know him from his massively successful TV show, Top Chef, or his restaurants nationwide, like Kraft, and one of my favorites in New York, Temple Court. He's one of the most famous chefs in America, and now in the world. He's written cookbooks. He's been the executive producer of a documentary called The Place at the Table. He's won the Outstanding Chef Award from the James Beard Foundation. He's won an Emmy. And what you may not know is that Tom's also a patriot and a dedicated activist. He's been a leader in pushing the incredibly and increasingly influential restaurant industry to do more. He served food in New York in the days after 9-11. He's fought for candidates and causes he cares about. And he's fighting hunger. He serves on two food relief organizations, the Food Council at City Harvest and the City Council at the Food Bank for New York City. And recently, at his restaurant Kraft in New York, he invited one of the top chef finalists, Chef Eric Ajapong, to present a full menu called the Transatlantic Slave Trade Through Food. It was a dinner that zigzagged around the world, retracing the forced migration of enslaved Africans and illuminating the lasting global culinary influences of the whole continent. It was the first in a series of dinners at Kraft that Tom's doing that highlights chefs with really strong culinary voices who don't have their own bricks and mortars restaurants. He's going to host dinners by a chef called Omar Tate, a Philadelphia guy who uses food to explore blackness in America. Another one by Gabriela Alvarez, who uses food to tell the story of Puerto Rico before and after Hurricane Maria. He's also an incredibly inspiring American success story. Tom started out in a working-class family in New Jersey, and he's risen to global recognition. He's a husband to an amazing wife, Lori, and three boys, and he's now the rare, and I think increasingly, thankfully, less rare example of an entrepreneur who's also a social entrepreneur. This episode is a break from the intensity of the last few weeks of politics in America, but it still matters deeply. Consider it food for thought. Definitely if you're a foodie, and maybe especially if you're not. As you head into a summer filled with food and politics, we'll bring both of them together for an in-depth conversation with a leader who's driving the future of America on food and politics and policy and much more. It's an episode of Angry Americans with the four courses that I promise you in every episode. An amuse-bouche of integrity, an appetizer of information, a main course of impact, and a dessert of inspiration. So turn up your speakers or set that cruise control, fire up your grill of curiosity, and warm up your deep fryer of learning, and let's dig into it. Welcome to Angry Americans, Episode 8. Here's an issue that's got me angry, and I think should have everyone angry. Now look, with Trump president, I could pretty much do a daily show, just waking up every morning and thinking about what dumb crap he's done to make me angry and make the whole world angry. It's like a daily flood of stupidity and reckless selfishness. But this week, this week, he really got me. Earlier this week, it was reported in the New York Times that Trump may be preparing pardons 
for service members accused of war crimes. This is something I actually have to talk to you about. I have to actually do a segment on my podcast covering the fact that the President of the United States is considering pardons for troops convicted of war crimes. This is really happening. He's had days to say, no, I do not support these war criminals. I will not pardon them, but he hasn't. He's left the door open, and now there are reports that he may wait till Memorial Day to announce that he's pardoned several American troops accused or convicted of war crimes. Now, this includes high-profile cases of murder, attempted murder, and desecration of a corpse. One of them involves a case where a service member urinated on the corpse of a fallen enemy. That is a violation of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. It is a violation of the Geneva Convention. It is a violation of good order and discipline. It is a violation of all that is sensible. Pardoning war criminals, I guess I have to say this, is terrible. It's a terrible idea for our democracy. It's a terrible idea for our military. It actually puts our troops in danger. Because if the world thinks that we are the bad guys, we're done. We're supposed to be the good guys. We are normally viewed as the good guys. But if the world finds out that our commander-in-chief is okay with war crimes... That's gone. Our troops are immediately in danger. They are not the good guys anymore. And our president gives them a pass to violate all the global standards for discipline, for honor, for integrity. There's also another element here that I think people don't fully understand. When the enemy thinks that they will be treated well, they give up more easily. If they think they're going to be tortured, if they think they're going to be murdered, If they think they're going to be urinated on when they're dead, they're going to fight till their dying breath. Knowing that Americans treat troops well is a strategic, tactical, military advantage to us. It makes the enemy give up more easily, which is good for troops, good for America, good for our military. You know, it's not good for troops, not good for America, not good for our military. Pardoning war criminals who have been convicted or accused in military courts. If you trust the military, if you respect the military, trust their rule of law, trust their courts, allow them to do their thing. Don't come flying in and throw a hand grenade into the entire military legal system because some dude on Fox News thinks it might make for a good bump in your poll ratings. This is an issue of the utmost outrage, the utmost seriousness. This would be an ethical, moral rock bottom. In an administration where you can't see the bottom, we keep going lower. This would be a new low. It would be catastrophic. It would be disrespectful. But it would not be surprising. Now, this is an issue that's got me angry. And I think should have everyone angry. Because if you're not angry about this, you're really not paying attention. What do you think? Use the hashtag AngryAmericans and sound off. Because this one's really got me going. And I hope has your attention. All right, 
Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've got a really special treat today. I am thrilled and happy. It's a beautiful, sunny day in New York, and we have the great Tom Colicchio joining us, my friend, uh, an inspiration, an icon. Uh, every week I try to talk to an iconic, important, inspiring American who's really had an impact on what it means to be American. And I've been really excited to talk to you, man. So thanks for coming in. Of course, Paul. Yeah, this, is, this is pretty awesome. Um, uh, yeah, it is, it is a beautiful day out here, I guess. You know, it all depends. The weather's beautiful. But in America right now, you know, things are getting tough. It's, uh, it, it's, 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 I think it's, you have to sort of define what it means. You know, you said what it is to be American. You have to redefine it. We did a pop-up um, in my restaurant with a, a great uh, young uh, African-American chef named Omar Tate. And he talked about his family being here for 200 years. And so my family hasn't been here for 200 years. And then he talked about, he did this whole, this whole dinner around, um, uh, you know, er everything on the plate, there was an intention behind it. And he was redefining what it means to be a black American and wrapping himself in the flag while doing it. And it was actually pretty cool. So yeah, I think, I think that right off the top, that is what's important right now. What is, what is it to be American? And, uh, uh, so yeah, so let's, let's, let's yeah. get into it. Yeah. And he, he's, I think from Philly, right? <laughs> yeah. He yeah. Is, yeah, I, yeah. I did a bit in the intro where I, I talked about this series you're doing in your restaurant. And, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of folks know you from TV. They know you from the cooking world, but right. I met you through the world of politics and advocacy. Right. Right. And you know, the first meeting we had was about issues. Sure. Right. And, and so can you talk a little bit about maybe that side of yourself and your work and your passion? Like, I want to let you open yeah, up on that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, as, as a, a working chef in New York uh, for the last 30 plus years, um, we had always been asked, chefs are always asked, we're kind of like the, the first the first defenders, you know, the first responders when it comes to charitable events, because people know we, we show with food and, and good food. And and so, um, and mostly focused on hunger. I think that chefs, uh, there's a uh, uh, we, I, I guess we're simpatico when it comes to uh, organizations that are trying to alleviate hunger because we feed people for a living, people that can afford it. But I think also I believe that food is a right. And everyone should should have access to affordable, high quality, nutritious food. So, um, so we're always asked to do these events, and whether it was with Share Our Strength, No Kid Hungry, our Meals on Wheels, our God's Love We Deliver, our New York Food Bank. Um, we were always there, and and I remember years and years ago doing some media training around hunger, and I thought I knew a bit about it. And you know, growing up, I grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey. In fact, you know, we can look down the Hudson here. And yeah, I, I can yeah. kind of see where right, I grew yeah, up. The classic Car Club, Manhattan. It's Fleet Week. The ships went by a couple hours ago. Uh -huh. All the Navy ships came by, but now I'm interested to get into that too, yeah. man. I mean, you came from a really working class background. Yeah, yeah. So, so across the river now into this other world. Yeah, right? my, my dad was a corrections officer. My, my, my mother ran a school lunch program. Um, when we were a little older, she, when we were kids, she was home. But, um, so we knew that in our community, some, some of the kids were hungry, but the church would take care of it. And, and we kind of knew, and we just kind of, you know, yeah, well, you know, that's okay. But so it, the, the more, um, time I spent as a chef in New York, obviously, helping to raise money. And I thought I was doing my part. And then my, my wife, um, uh, Lori, who was mentoring a young, uh, a young woman who was living in a shelter at the time. Um, and, uh, we would have her come to the house. And it was clear that she was hungry. Uh, it was also clear to us that she had some learning disabilities. And so in, in New York city, if the public school can't meet the needs of the kids, um, the city will pay for them to go to a private school. Um, 
and this wasn't some big fancy private school, but there was a, a it was a school that where they dealt with some learning disabilities, and so uh, first some first couple you know week into the into the uh, the semester, we get a, a phone call. My wife got a phone call from the principal saying this woman's clearly hungry and asking people for food. Because it wasn't a public school, they didn't have a breakfast and lunch program, mm. and so this 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 young girl, this young woman, was not getting uh, her breakfast and lunch at school. And so um, my wife came home and said, listen, I, uh, she's a filmmaker and uh, she does narrative film, but she thought that she should make a documentary about this issue, how in the uh, uh, richest country in the world, at the time it was over 50 million uh, people were struggling putting food on the table, um, including 16 million children, including uh, 13 million seniors, including, I think at the time, it was uh, a high number of vets as well. And that's how we met, yep, um, yep. dealing with, with the hunger, um, hunger issue in the vet community. And um, so the film came out and, and it really gave me a, 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 a soapbox to talk about these issues. And obviously I, I, I became more versed in the issues. And, and from that film, that led to me co, uh, co, co, um, uh, the co-founder of an organization called Food Policy Action, where we actually were lobbying Congress. Um, we weren't getting paid to do this because poor people weren't paying us to lobby on behalf of hungry people. Yeah. But we also expanded that into farming and other issues as well. Um, and uh, what we did um, is we published a scorecard. So we actually graded Congress on how they voted on these various food issues, including hunger. And it, you know, two years in, we started to get people's attention. Yeah. Three years in, we would get phone angry phone calls from members saying, you know, why did my why was my score so low? And which means you're doing your job. It, yeah, and, yeah, and, and yeah. then then we would get well. If I knew someone was keeping score, I would have voted differently. Right. Great. That's exactly that was our goal. That's and, the behavior uh, change you want. Yeah. Right? So I worked with that organization for about five years, and then I left recently. Um, they're still doing great work. Um, but that's it. You know, I and so you know my. When I started doing TV, I was known as a chef in New York for a long time. But once I started doing TV, I was known, I mean, you, you, all of a sudden the power of TV sort of puts you in a different position. Yeah. And for me, it was like, how do I use that power for good? Yeah. How, do I, how do I use the soapbox that I got to actually, you know, work on issues and issues that I care about or that my friends care about? And, and how, do, how do I amplify that? Even just the fact that I have close to a million Twitter followers, all of a sudden I, but, you know, it amplifies a message. Right. And so- so that's how that's how I got I got more involved. And in you're these known issues. for being very observant and being very focused and being a very effective judge. So now to turn that bright light onto Congress, yeah. I mean, not to diminish it, but how is it different when you're judging your craft and you see a very high level of proficiency and execution and planning and thoughtfulness, and then you go down to Congress? What 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 was that yeah, like I going think the, from one world to the other? Yeah, and the big difference is is um, and and the, the the hard part that I had is in the food world I'm an expert, but you know you get some people on the hill go all right you're a chef like really I need I need to hear you talk about policy, but I did my homework, and um, the, the difference is I, I I kept showing up right so I testified at George Miller who was a congressman from uh, California he, he retired a couple of years back. Um, his committee, it was around uh, the debate around school lunch, the, the Childhood Nutrition Reauthorization, um, which then turned to the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act under uh, uh, the Obamas. And I say the Obamas because both of them worked really, really hard on that, on that uh, issue of school lunch. And um, so I, 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 I testified, and it was really great, and, and I was scared to death. And, um, but I kept going back, and I kept going back, and, you know, 
six, seven, eight times, 10 times a year, I was up on the hill. And right before uh, Representative Miller retired, I was doing a press conference with him. Uh, and I think it was around transparency in the food system or something. And, and he took me aside and said, you know, Tom, you keep showing up and we notice that. He said, a lot of celebrities, they come here, they're here once, it's a photo op, we never hear from them again. You keep showing up and we, we, we know that and uh, that's why we're listening. And so that's, that's the, the real lesson I learned. If, if they're not going to go and listen to you, they're happy to come and take the photo with you. Right. They're happy to do that. Right. But if you really want to get your issue out there and have people focusing on it, you have to be flying the ointment. You've got to be there. You've got to show up all the time. And then all of a sudden they take it seriously. Yeah. One of my mentors said to me once that advocacy is not a big bang. It's a drumbeat. And they got to hear that drumbeat. And when they hear Tom Colicchio and they hear your audience and they hear a million Twitter followers and they know that you know your shit because you do know your shit, you are an expert on what you're there to talk about. And the smart ones will respect that and and listen to that. I mean, Jon Stewart's another example, right? Right. They know he keeps coming back. We did a show a couple of weeks ago about 9-11 first responders. He keeps showing up. They know he's not going to go away and they can't just blow him off with an Instagram And that's it. And he's smart and he's intelligent about it. And, you know, I, I even love the fact that when he shows up, he doesn't show up in a suit and tie. Yep. And he's just like, this is who I am, and we're going to play on my terms now. And he's done a great job. And I got to tell you, I, I am so happy that he's doing it. And I would, I would, I was down there talking about again, chefs yeah, being I first to responders. Ask you about that, about chefs being, and I Please. never, I never talk about this. And yeah. I'm, I'm happy to talk. I would about, really appreciate it if you would just to set the stage. So after 9/11, you were one of the folks who who led an effort down there to help people. Right. So, and I, so take I, us through that if you can. I got married four days after 9/11. Um, we got married. My wife and I got married on Martha's Vineyard. I was already on, on the vineyard when it happened. Um, I was out fishing actually. And the, the captain I was with, I heard him talking to someone on the phone and he, I heard him. I was like, what did you just say? And I said, get me out of here right now. And he's, what's the matter? It's a great day. It's nice. I was like, I have a child close by and I have people I know who work in the, in the trade center and it's, it's my city and get me home. And um, in fact, we were going to, we were going to, um, postpone the wedding and, um, the, uh, when we were first started to date, my wife and I, uh, I ended up getting some kind of, it was almost like a dog tag and it had this little thing on it that said, don't postpone joy. And that almost became like our, our color rally, our rallying cry. And when in my inside, I have two wedding rings on inside one right. of them, um, it says, don't postpone joy. And we talked to the rabbi was marrying us and um we said listen we may have to call us off and she said don't and she said what's inside your ring and she said this is not a time to 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 let the the people who did this win and this is a way of letting them win but we didn't go on a honeymoon um we stayed on the vineyard for a couple more days and immediately when i came down here i was part of a, a bunch of chefs who um got on on the cruise lines where there was a kitchen and we were feeding the first responders um, and I, I worked the midnight shift. I got down there at uh, 12 o'clock. And um, my first thing that I'd do every night would clean out the kitchen because it was always a mess. Yeah. And so clean out. And then we were there till 8 o'clock in the morning feeding people. And um, a couple things were interesting. You saw people really break down. You saw these first responders, these brave people, at that moment when they were sitting there eating, just kind of lose it. And you kind of knew what they were going through. And there was a few things that they would tell us, like, don't serve rice. Um, because 
for obvious reasons. There's mm-hmm. you know maggots crawling on body parts. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this this is what I learned, and this is this is it's uh, and this is the the stories you would hear, and this stuff stays with you. But um, you know, it, the the work that that John's doing, so many people did whatever they could. I mean, I remember some guy running into the second or third night I was there. He comes into the kitchen. He goes, "I need, I desperately need ice." And I said, listen, I don't have ice here. I have a small amount, but I have, I have restaurants. If you get me out of here and get me back in, because we, we would get actually board the, the boat over here, right off the pier here, and then take the boat down. And once we were on that boat, we weren't allowed to go off. And I said, if you can get me out of here and back in, I'll get you all the ice you want. And he's like, yeah, we did that. And we had a hard time getting back in, but we got back in. Yeah. Um, but the, the amount, the, the effort that it took and, and, and watching it would happen and everyone sort of rallying around the flag and everyone sort of, you know, going on and on about how the great work these first responders did and they did. And then to have members of Congress decide that they're not going to actually pay, like, follow through with the promises that they made to take care of these people. It's just unconscionable. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I love that John's doing this and, and, you know, he's a, He's a, he's a damn good guy for a lot of other things that he does. He's yeah. a, a big animal rights activist, and, and I think he has his own sanctuary, animal rights sanctuary, <laughs> yeah, that, he, that does, he actually yeah. runs it. As, yeah, yeah. And he's, 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 but to, to do this and to keep showing up, and right. he will not stop. Right. And that's what's going to make a difference. I think it's important for you to share the perspective of what it was like down there during those times, because I think folks see, you know, select images, or they think back to the video footage of the actual attack. But I wrote about it extensively in my book, and it was the darkest most tragic, most horrifying time, but it was also a time of joy and of hope and of inspiration and of unity and that mm-hmm. feeling in the air that, that everybody was in this together was like nothing I ever felt before and have felt since, right? I mean, it was really a profound moment of unity and food in, in many ways, when I was in the army, it was the same thing. It was that time to, to reflect or that time to relax or that time to just enjoy something that is so essential and simple right. and you know in the, in the military food is everything man my grandfather used to tell me food and mail is is everything so right. i mean well, do you, you think about that you, as a connective tissue in america and especially one of the reasons i was excited to talk to you tom is because it's memorial day you know memorial day week is coming up the summer starting food is such a an essential part of america but it's also a part of our politics in the same way I think liquor can be and conversation, real political conversations don't happen with suits and ties. They right. happen around a dinner right. table, right. right? So so tell us but, what you and, think and about that. So that that's exactly right. And so when when people ask me about about why um, you know, and I reflect back how I got involved in cooking, why it's important to me, you know, they always expect about, oh well, I, I'm I'm passionate about my food and I go out and, and do this. Yeah, all that's all that's fine. But it's it's not so much about the food, the plate of food, it's what it does. It brings people around a table. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I had to be home every night. Um, but then you think about, if someone says, you know, what is that, that moment, that one inspiration that sort of got you cooking? And I had this conversation just yesterday with a journalist. Um, when I was a kid growing up in New Jersey, my grandfather and I would crab and fish in Barnegat Bay. And I started probably at the age of five. And I had two jobs besides fishing. It was to keep my grandfather awake on the ride, on the ride home. Right, he would right. nod out. Okay. Um, and I had to clean the fish. So at a very young age, I had a knife in my hand learning how to clean fish because he just would take a nap when he got home. But the memories of summer to me is my family sitting around a table picking crab, eating what we called crab gravy because we would take the crabs and cook them, but then put them in marinara sauce and put that marinara sauce over linguine. So we had that. And then sitting around the table picking crab. And... 
to me, that's, that's summer. Yeah. But then when you think about it, all celebrations, whether it's a wedding, an anniversary, a death, um, there's usually food involved. But what food does, it, it, there's a certain comfort around it, but there's also a necessity. You look at the work that, that my, my great friend Jose Andreas is doing, yeah. where he just took it upon himself. The first one was Haiti. And I think it was also, and I think you can tie it right back to the work that happened around, around 9-11 as well. But when there was a, uh, an earthquake in Haiti, he just decided he was going to go there and do something because he realized something really important. Yes, you need people on the ground to deal with infrastructure and rebuilding. You need architects and engineers and you need uh, other NGOs to deal with uh, uh, water and to get the government up and running again and to deal with, with you need doctors to deal with medical issues. But you need cooks to cook food. Right, right, <laughs> so, right, right. And that wasn't happening. Right. And so, and so yeah, so food, you, you realize the power that it has. But it's, the, again, the power of bringing people together. I actually think that right now, if members of Congress are forced to eat with each other every day, they'd probably actually work out some of these problems. I like that. That's <laughs> you know? a good That's Just a good sit down and have suggestion. a meal. Mandatory meal. Yeah. Kind of like mandatory family uh, meal or mandatory military meal. The, the team has to have a meal together. And, yeah. and, and yeah, I think that's, that's missing now. They don't do that. There was, they a, don't do that. There was a congressman, uh, Sutherland out of Florida who all, when he got to Congress, he actually cared about hunger. And I heard the story, he was talking to his daughter and he said, now I'm really frustrated because I, I want to sort of deal with hunger in America and I don't know who to talk to. And she said, well, who's, who's the guy who's really you know, sort of doing this work? Jim McGovern. Well, why sure. don't you sit down and talk to him? I can't, he's a Democrat. I can't talk to really? him. Really? Yeah. Huh. This is, this is, this is how it's got to. Like we yeah. have this major issue that we can deal with and actually end hunger in this country with good programmers that work, that we know that work. And the two sides can't get together and, and, and deal with it. I mean, and part of the only reason we got a decent farm bill this time around was because Pat Roberts, a Republican, just said, we're not touching SNAP. We're not touching programs that feed people. Right. So the only way we're delivering a farm SNAP, bill- food stamps. Right, right. Yeah. SNAP, right. Yeah. And, so, and so you had Republicans said, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. I'm going to deliver a farm bill for my farmers, but we are not taking money away from this program that everybody needs. So I want to, I want to stay on that issue because I know you know- I'm rambling. You know going, farm, I'm all, no, no, you know farm, all over the place This right is now. good. You know farming, you know the farm bill. And a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a discussion about how the tariffs- uh, on China, Trump's tariffs on China are going to impact farmers. Yep. And Tom Cotton, the the senator uh, from Arkansas, stepped forward and, and basically said farmers should sacrifice uh, for for their patriotism. He appealed to the sense of patriotism yep. and said, you know, be like the troops and right. and and give something up in service of your nation. In the meantime, farmers are having a hard time already, just getting by. I mean, what what's your reaction when you hear that kind of almost jingoism, right? right? Where right. where Farmers are sometimes being used as political props in the same way vets or exactly, so many other yeah, groups, right? Yeah, and, and listen, my, my feeling on this is this was not, you can rally around the troops because they're there putting, them, putting their ass on the line. And, and if, if you don't, whether or not you agree with that war or not, whether or not you agree that we should have been in Iraq, um, I don't think there's too much sort of disparity as to whether or not we should have been in Afghanistan. But, but even though once they're there, you support the troops. It's, 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 it, to me, that's a, it's, it's pretty easy. And, but this isn't a war. This is someone's ego who doesn't quite understand how tariffs work. Um, and, and I based it on the fact that he still believes that somehow this money is coming into the coffers of the government. Right. Um, and he, he keeps on saying that. Farmers are getting shrewd here. And they're getting screwed because they supported someone. I mean, 
rural America put him in office and rural America is getting screwed because of his policies right now. And I, and I, w- I still wouldn't say screw the farmers. I think that they should get a package to help bail them out um, because they're getting caught in the middle right now. Right. And so there's a new $15 billion proposal working its way through right now to help bail them out. But again, it, what this really is showing is how vulnerable the farming community is. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I mean, the prices for corn and soy are, I think, at an all-time low. And so they're at the point where, why should we even plant? Um, you know, it's, it's just not worth it. And then they get a hit on, on tariffs on top of that. And so, and here's the problem. If this, if this war ends, this tariff war, I right. say war, I mean, why people call it a war, it's ridiculous. It, it kind of makes light a, of what, what, but it a, makes light of what war yeah. is. Well, and it also effectively rallies people if you want to appeal to their populism or their nationalism yeah. or yeah. some other, yeah. right? Right, yeah. but, but just it's, it's politics at its worst in some ways. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but but if we actually make a deal with China, these markets aren't going to open up again because they've already switched to markets. They're buying from Brazil. They're buying soy from Brazil. They're not all of a sudden going to say, "Well, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll buy from the United States now." It's already done. So this isn't going to end that quickly. Tomorrow, if if these tariffs end tomorrow, the markets aren't aren't going to be flooded open, and so the farmers are still going to get screwed. Um, and so. I just would rather, again, someone should just talk sense into this guy and say, this is not the fight that you want right now. There's, there's a way to peddle influence, and this is not it. And putting, the, putting farmers' livelihoods at risk, and we know what this is going to do. This is going to create further consolidation in the farming industry, where there's going to be fewer family-owned farms, and the big, giant conglomerates are going to just buy these farmers up when they go out of right. business, and it's going to make it worse. And that's all this is doing, because the big farmers will get through this. Yeah. It's the guy who's planting 2,000 acres of corn and soy and feeding a few pigs on his property. They're going to get scrutinous. And, you know, it, and this is just because you have someone who has a, a giant ego and who quite, doesn't quite understand how this all works. And yet, again, they're, they're, they're asking someone who didn't pick this fight and who did to sign up for it. That's the other difference right. here. You go to war as a soldier, you're signing up to do that. You know, you know the consequences of that, and you're doing it for the reasons that you have to do it. These farmers didn't sign up for this, right. <laughs> and so right. they're being told to be patriotic. Right. Well, damn, I think they're patriotic enough. <laughs> I want, I want to come back to your thoughts on Trump because you have not pulled any punches. And if anybody doesn't follow you on Twitter, they should after this show because you, right. you drop bombs and you speak your mind, which I think is really, really an important part of your your following. I think people have always trusted you as a guy who speaks the truth. But let's stay in the way, way back machine in New Jersey. We were talking on the walk in here about cars. We're at the Manhattan Car Club yeah. again. There's some pretty incredible cars here. But tell me, Tom Colicchio, what was your first car? My first car, oh God, it's is really cool. It's a 1972 Fiat Spider wow. <laughs> convertible. And the only reason it was mine, I don't know. So my dad got this car. A friend of his had like an auto body shop, you know, sell used cars as well. And my dad got this car. He actually got it for my brother, but there was no bill of sale. And I, I think I know how it happened now, um, but there was no bill of sale. And so when my, my brother was a year older, and so he ended up with this Toyota Corolla. And when the, when the, when the, the, the paperwork finally came around this car, I was of age. So I got that car. Wow. It was, it was pretty, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't expensive at all at the time, but, um, but it was really cool to what, drive what around. What color was yellow. this? What, it was, yellow. It was, it was yellow. Wow. It was, it was, I think they referred to it as fighting lady yellow. Um, fighting lady it, yellow. Yeah, I, th- I think that's it. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. This question um, never disappoints. Every time I ask somebody this question, we get a surprising and an interesting answer. Do you know ha- what happened to the car? Did you get rid? So your brother got a Toyota. I beat the hell got- out of that thing. 
I, I, you know, I, I drove that thing into the ground until I can't tell you how many times I wasn't, you know, prior to that, I have tinker with stuff, but I had to sort of learn how to, you know, replace an alternator and, and, and do a lot of, a lot of work on the fly with that car. Um, and it was a pretty simple, you know, the electrical system never worked. The windshield wipers never worked. I learned to drive a car without windshield wipers. Um, and there was no bill of sale. So maybe this got traded for a, for a bucket of crabs. No, it ended, up, it ended up getting junked. It ended up, I mean, it would not work anymore. It was falling apart. I drove the hell out of this thing. I, I got, I had to have close to a hundred thousand miles on it when I got it. Wow. I easily put a hundred plus on it in, in a, in a very short time, but I took it everywhere. It was, it was, uh, it was a great first car. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And you've been, taking your advocacy everywhere. You've seen this entire country. You've been out on the road across the world. You're now in many ways, not just, a, you know, a, an American ambassador, but a global ambassador for the issues you're talking about. You're known around the world, but I ask every guest and I want to ask you this because I say all the time, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Yeah. What's, what's one thing that's got you angry, Tom? It's the, it's, it's the day-to-day hypocrisy, you know, and it, it's just, it doesn't end. And, and so my, my big concern is that we don't return to the norms. I mean, even the norm, you know, again, going back to, to 72, I think it was, presidents sort of opened up their, 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 their taxes so people could see um, what they were, how they were making their money and, and whether or not they were entitled in other in foreign investments, things like that. But there was no law. This is a thing you did because you were decent. And the norms of governing this country are gone. And the question is, do they come back? The institutions are barely holding on right now. And the question is, do they come back? When you hear the president of the United States go after the FBI, go after our intelligence agencies. I mean, think about this. He's actually sat there and said, I actually believe Russia over our intelligence agencies. This is crazy. And so to me, it's, it's the hypocrisy and, and around that and whether or not we return back to normalcy after this presidency or do we have to start creating laws? Now, I know there's laws on the books now, in, I believe in Maryland, Washington state, I'm sure a handful of other states right now where you have to open up your, 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 your tax uh, information or you're not getting on the ballot. Right. And so now we have Which to create good. laws. Yeah. yeah. And so um, to me, that, that's, what, that's where I'm frustrated. I'm really frustrated at our lack of standing um, in the world now. Um, and again, how do we get that back? You know, that we've, we've, we've taken allies that, that we were aligned with for 200 years and just decided that it's not important. And, and this isn't normal. Yeah. Um, you know, there are things that, that just come out of his mouth that even if, if, you know, in the deep, darkest corners of a politician or a president of the United States, they think these things, they wouldn't say them because what, it can, what, what can happen? They understood the power of the, of the office. I don't think he understands the power that his words have. Yeah. And yeah. so he just, he just yeah. casually tosses them around. Yeah, I've so, talked a lot about the command climate, the tone yeah. he sets, the example he creates, right? Or the anti-example. And right. I've seen it kind of cascade across America right? in the way people talk to each other, I mean, sure. social media, obviously, yeah. I can't imagine what kind of crazy shit people throw at you on, on Twitter. I, you know what? But, I don't get much pushback. Really? No, I, I don't, not as much really? as other people I know who are out there. Who, yeah. I mean, I, if I ever mention Chris Cuomo or Megan McCain in my Twitter, Twitter feed on any level, it's off the charts and like really nasty, <laughs> frightening sometimes stuff. I'll try so that. Those two in particular, <laughs> right? And I've, I've 
Cuomo or McCain just sets people up. Maddow, maybe after last week, is another story. But I want to ask you, Tom, so this climate right, yeah. that he's creating as a leader, yeah. you're a leader, you've yeah. led in kitchens and in businesses and on shows, you set the tone as a leader. Do you see that cascading down into your restaurants? I, I love your restaurants. I've been, I was in Temple Court recently, and I love it. But do you see the way your staff is treated, the way people treat each other in a restaurant when their guard is down, maybe they've had a couple drinks, does it bleed over into the way people are treating themselves or does it go back the other way where now people are nicer or is there no change at all? No, I, th I think because we're in New York City, I actually, I, th I think people are, are, are being nicer. They're more cognizant of, of, of sort of what they're saying and how they say it. And I think there's this um, series that I'm doing where we're opening up our restaurant so new voices can come out. Um, that to me is a direct result of, of this presidency. Because you are getting, uh, especially uh, minorities, people of color in this country that are just, they're taking back their story. They are not letting someone define who they are and what it means for them to be American. And so, um, and I think that is a direct result of, of what's going on in our political climate. Mm. So I actually think there's, uh, there, you know, I don't know if it's a silver lining, but I think in, especially in New York, I see it in LA too, where people are reaching out. They are um, sort of understanding what privilege means, and so for me, the reason I'm, I'm part of the reason I'm doing this series is is yes, I do occupy a, a position of privilege, not only because I'm white, but in my industry especially, I, I have privilege. I've been there thirty plus years, and I'm a leader in the industry. And so for me, it's not enough to sit on the sidelines and applaud and say, "Isn't this great that this is happening?" What do I do to make it happen? What do I do not not to not to open that door? But, to, to, but to, to welcome someone in, set that table for them, and give them a seat at that table. Right. That's my responsibility, not to sit there and go, isn't this great, this is happening, and I'm open to it. That's not enough anymore. And yeah. so I think that you're seeing more bridges being, being built, and you're seeing more people reach out because of what's going on. And at a time when American leadership on the political side is lacking, our entertainment and our cultural influences seem to continue to rise. So, yeah. and, I, and I think about, you know, the role of Bourdain in shaping what it means to be American. Top Chef, Chef's Table now is yeah. a huge hit, right? So these are global hits, but they're coming out of America, right? Many yeah. of them. And they're raising these kind of rock star Americans. So what is the, the future for the, many of them are activists, right? I talk a lot about activism. So you're melding not just business and creativity, but activism, your principles, what you stand for. Mm -hmm. Do you see a generation of political leaders? Do you see anybody who might run for office? And I'm going to ask you this too. Would you ever run for office yourself? Um, there are times I think about it. Um, yeah. I have been asked, um, but I, no. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I, I don't think I'd be right for it. I, I don't work well um, in groups. Uh, that didn't stop and, and, another guy from running for governor in New Jersey. Yeah, this is right? true. That guy didn't work too well in groups. And no, he no, was governor no, for a no, long time. No, he didn't. And ran for president. No, he didn't. Um, but um, no. Um, but um, what I'm what I'm seeing, and this is what we did. So for 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 years, I kept my advocacy separate than my business. Right. And again, this is um, uh, I believe also in a, in a correlation, a direct correlation, because of the political climate we're in right now. I'm starting to see more and more people bring 
their advocacy work in line with their business. And I think people right. want to know where you stand on issues nowadays. Right. And I think it actually it has to be one and the same. And so that's what I'm seeing in my industry right now is that you have chefs. So the, the James Beard Foundation, um, they do our awards and, and right. um, it started out as, as a really, as a way to keep, James Beard had a townhouse on, on 12th Street here in Manhattan. And after he died, it was a way to keep that house from being sold off. And it was turned into like kind of a museum. And a, and a, but, and, and, but what they're doing now going about about six years ago, they realized that they had to actually use their voice um, to support um, change in not only in our industry, but in farming and things like that. So, so, so you're seeing this and what they do is they actually start a, a boot camp and they teach chefs how to be advocates, hmm. how to go up on the hill and lobby. And so when I was with food policy action, we would do a lobby day and we did it, you know, four or five times a year, we'd bring 60, 80 chefs to the hill. And these chefs were all really well-versed because they were trained on how to lobby. And boy, when you go there and you have a business, you're in Asheville, North Carolina, and you have a business and you employ people, Absolutely. that member listens. Absolutely. And so, and so you're seeing more and more that, that chefs are not willing to sit on the sidelines anymore. They're willing to fight for, for what they believe in. And they, they fight for their communities and what their communities need. And so it's changing now. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I think this is part and parcel of where we are. Yeah. You didn't see this, you know, under any other, you know, president where people are so willing to engage in, you know, it used to be, well, I don't want to piss off, you know, a bunch of people. They won't come to my restaurant. Now it's like, they no. They want to know where you get no. your food, how you do your hiring, what kind of business you practice, right? right? And, and, and that's, that's all political yeah. in, a, in a way. But it should be, right? Because like in, in many places, you know, the, the local restaurant um, or even the kitchen table is where you learn how to treat people. You right. learn about leadership. You learn about teamwork. They, they, many call, of, they call it kitchen table issues yeah, for a reason. <laughs> many folks, you know, from the military community have talked about mandatory uh, public service of sure. some kind, right? Marine Corps yep. or, or AmeriCorps. But I've also believed that on some levels, maybe working in the service industry should be mandatory. I, 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 my first job, one of my first jobs was in the service industry. I've been a busboy. I've been a waiter. I've been a bouncer. Yeah. I've been a bartender. My yeah. grandparents yeah. actually met in a restaurant. They worked, they worked at a greasy spoon. My grandmother was a waitress and my grandfather was an immigrant from Germany who barely spoke English and worked in the back of the kitchen. They met in a restaurant you oh. know, decades ago. Yeah. And that's a lot of stories right. in this country. Well, God forbid yeah. you're a bartender and you become a member of Congress. Then all of a sudden, like you're not qualified, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> or you're John Boehner, right? <laughs> yeah. There's that, right? Yeah. Um, but you, do you think about that? Like when, you know, you have kids, you, you, have, yeah. you have sons, you know, do you think about um, how much they learn or people learn working in a restaurant, even getting along with other people, how to deal with customers, how to manage money? There's so many important parts of yeah. life that you I, learn I, in the I, restaurant. I, I would year. agree with you, but to say that should be mandatory is really self-serving for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, listen, I, I, uh, there's a, there's, there is a lot to learn yeah. when you're in, um, in the restaurant business, and it's really just how to deal with people. Right. And that's what it all comes down to. It's like, how do you, how do you just sort of, someone's coming in here, they had a hard day at work, <laughs> you know, or they got in a fight yeah. with, their, with their spouse or whatever, and you've got to figure all that out right away, very yeah. quickly sum that up. And so you get a, a uh, if you if you're in the service industry, you get a pretty good good sense on on sort of human nature right away and sort of how to deal with it and how to navigate it and yeah. But I I agree. I think there should be some sort of um, uh, mandatory service and and so. But but I, I think again it, for, for me it's like how do you how do you sort of catch so the idea of free public free education right and a lot of people are talking about free college right now and I think that's a bad way to go. Now, before he jumps down my throat, let me explain. No, go for it. It's only so, me and you. I'm not jumping down your no, throat. Go the, for the, it. The, 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 we have no commercial breaks. Right. This the is the advantage the people, of a podcast. The people out there listening, 
Um, when a lot of people out there hear free education, especially someone who's just paid for the kids to go to college, and maybe they just graduated, they're like, why do I want to take my tax dollars? I, I want my tax dollars to go somewhere else. So why should I go to pay you know, for free education? Let's, let's sort of reframe that a little bit. How about we call that 14 years of public education, right? So for the last five, six years, the buzz was pre-K. And in New York now, we have pre-K available to everybody here because we realized that kids who weren't in pre-K, they were getting left behind. Right. And wealthier people who could afford to send their kids to a pre-K program that was paid for, when they got to school, they had a leg up. So that happened here in New York City. We have universal pre-K. So now we need to talk about, it used to be if you had a high school education, you could pretty much get by. You can get a job in a factory making a decent wage. You were living a middle-class life. You had a house. Maybe it wasn't a big house. It wasn't in some fancy neighborhood, but you had a house. You got a car every five, six years. You took a vacation here and there. And you can get by. It was fine. You can't do that anymore. That doesn't mm. work anymore. Mm. So what do we need? At least two years of additional public education. There was a time in this country we did not have public education. Right. And when we started it, everyone who wanted it was labeled a socialist. You're labeled a socialist, and at the time, only wealthy people put their, you know, sent their kids to school. And maybe there were some charity you know, cases for kids who were really smart to get that leg up. So instead of calling it free college, let's call it 14 years of public education. Now, all of a sudden, that sounds very different. Now, you tie that into a mandatory service component, I think that's great. Whether. I think this is the basis of a gubernatorial campaign in the state of New Jersey. I, mean, <laughs> I, look, live, in New York, I live in New York now. <laughs> look, they're, 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 yeah, and to that point, we've got a guy in the mayor of New York City, Mayor de Blasio, who is now running for president. I'm not a fan. I think he's been a disaster and has wrecked many parts of this city. But what he's going to run on is, is now free pre-K, right? Yeah. Like my kid is now a pre-K age. It's an option for us. And on a very basic level, I'm a fan of this. Okay. Like I will yeah. give him credit for that. I think it's a huge yeah. policy win. And on a basic level, is this not really significant simply because some kids will get fed, right? If they go to pre-K, they'll get school lunch or they'll get some kind of food and at least be a, a competitive advantage. Yeah, if absolutely. They were home but you know what's going on right else? now? In de Blasio's budget, and this is someone who thinks he's a progressive, he is looking to cut $24 million out of the school breakfast uh, program. Because right, right now, there's a big movement towards breakfast after the bell. Yeah. So you get breakfast in first period. Number one, it gets rid of the stigma of being the kid that has to go and get breakfast. Um, also, studies have been done where math scores go up by 30% um, when kids eat breakfast. Um, rates of absent, absenteeism drops. Uh, rates of, of, uh, of you know, getting in trouble, going to the principal's office drops. So this is a great program. And now they're actually looking to cut $24 million out of that, that budget for uh, breakfast after the bell. It's just unconscionable. This works. And so the idea that this very progressive you know, mayor is going to do this is, is and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't follow New York City politics as much as I should. I follow more sort of national politics. I don't, whether he was a disaster, I mean, he got universal, um, uh, again, the breakfast passed, mm -hmm. and now he's looking to cut it. I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. Did he give a rationale for why? I don't think so. See, that, this, I, you know, this, one, this could, also, is, be, this no, could but, also be right now. No, where, but this is where, also de Blasio to me. He does dumb shit that he doesn't but explain. I don't know if he's doing it. I don't even know if he knows. Yeah, I think this could that's be- That's another example these, of why I think he's a been bunch a of people who, who a lot of looking things, at the, He actually opposed a couple years ago part of why- you know, I've been a pretty um, consistent critic of his is a couple years ago here in New York City, 
we did not have a Department of Veteran Services, a Department of Veteran Support. We had one of the biggest populations in the country of veterans right. of all generations. Right. And he actually opposed the creation of the department, the, the ultimate socialist mayor, the guy who's all about government programs, for some reason, inexplicable reason, opposed this. And this is the kind of stuff that's caused a lot of friction with him around not just vets, but cops, firefighters. Right. He's hit these unexplicable, inexplicable third rails. Right. And I think his tone deafness and right. maybe a lack of, frankly, competence right. is what's going to come back to get him. But also, to, to your point, we talk a lot about New York in, in this show, in part because now New York politics is national politics. Our president talks a lot about how he came from here. Now we've got a mayor, we've got a senator running, and Gillibrand running for, mm -hmm. for president. Has... You've been a ferocious critic of Trump. Has he ever come in one of your restaurants when you were there? Not that I know of. Um, he's not the guy who wants to eat out a lot. And I think also he doesn't like to pay for, for his meal. So he has to go to his place. So he has to pay. I met him once on a golf course. At his golf course in New Jersey. I knew the pro working there. I knew him from a, a, a club down in South Carolina. And it was a, a quick hi and goodbye. That was it. Right. Um, and so what do you think about him, you know, serving, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A, and Burger King when people come to the White House. I mean, Again, this, on a very is, basic level, a, not to dismiss it, but seriously, right? The president says, hey, welcome to the White House. Here's Burger King. It's, it's a terrible thing to do. Again, right now, we have such a problem in this country with nutrition. Do you know right now we're spending $200 billion a year on healthcare costs that are associated with poor diet? in the form of diabetes and other I issues it. around obesity, heart disease. And so what kind of example are you leading where you're telling people like, you know, junk food's okay. Occasionally, yeah, it's fine, but the message should be the message that Michelle Obama put out there. Health and nutrition is really important and being able to afford nutrition is important. We, we have a, the problem that we have in this country is calories are cheap, nutrition is expensive. You want to go feed your family nutritious food, it costs a lot of money. Right. And so what we have, right, you know, that to me is an example of a broken food system, and it's broken because it's not reaching everyone, and that's the problem. So, and it's very similar to, I, I guess, uh, you know, the veterans uh, issue around around the, the hospitals. It's available, services available, but it's not available to everyone. Right. And and, and right. the service is 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 it's great for some things, but not great for other things. And wait lines, you know, the lines are too long. People are waiting, and so it's not that we should just scrap this. It's make it better. And so we have, but we have a, a food. System in this country that can produce a lot of food. There's a lot of abundance, but we're producing cheap calories, and it's actually not reaching everyone because it's not reaching people because they don't have the dollars to pay for it. Right. And so right. there's a problem here. So we have to fix that problem. Right. But that's just a, a good example of how the system's broken. I think you know, food's one of those basic things that people forget how important it is in politics and in policy. There was a story recently about how the Department of Defense was contemplating cutting the the was a relatively small budget for lobsters in the military. I don't know if you saw this, Tom. But there was like <laughs> basically something like $20 million allocated to lobsters in the military. And the, and the military budget's hundreds of billions of dollars. And people said, you know what? What do they need lobsters for? And the vets community actually pushed back and said, you know what? There, were, there was this flood of stories that, you know, the day my guys got blown up, we got lobster. Or once a year, we look forward to lobster. And even from a logistical standpoint, like it's a good training exercise for the military to figure out if they can deliver a lobster to a remote outpost in Afghanistan. But for us in the military, especially food was that one thing you could look forward to. Right. I mean, I'll always remember, you know, the Thanksgiving dinner. Everywhere you go, you see that one plate of Thanksgiving dinner and it's a piece of home. Right. And, and I think people tend to forget how essential it is to being American. Right. So, what, what, it's, so what's interesting is, is that needs explanation. Yeah. Because when you, when you said that, I was like, my, the first thing in my mind, I was like, 
Yeah, like who? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Who's getting these lobsters? Because yeah. I immediately thought like officers getting lobster, no, and everyone no. else is getting like, no. you know, like hey, once a year, right. you know, hey, Navy SEALs or hey, that transportation sense. unit that's been busting that, your ass for a year. That all makes you sense. Know, America, right. America doesn't think you should eat shit every day. Here, you know what? We put a man on the moon. We're gonna take people to Mars. We can get you a lobster tail once a year if that's your. But again, I'll go back jam. to it. That's that is America because again, we opened this conversation talking about how you celebrate anniversaries and weddings and important milestones with food. And so yeah. if you could say, hey, you guys did a great job and we're doing, you're getting a better meal today. Yeah. That's how I grew up. It's like, you know, something happened. It's like, hey, we're going to, you know, either my mother was cooking a special meal or maybe that, you know, we're going to go out to dinner. So that was a treat. Right. And so, yeah, so I, I get it why that's a treat and why, why. My mother would do something that was very radical at the time, Carvel dinner. Carvel dinner. When yeah. she didn't want to cook and she didn't want to go out, she said, you know what? My mother was very popular in the neighborhood. But if my mom said, hey, we're doing Carvel dinner, we'd all pile in the car, go to Carvel ice cream, which right. was a re, you know, regional soft serve. Right. And that was a hit, man. That was my favorite dinner. Right. I know it's not fancy, but shit, no, Car- nothing beat Carvel dinner right, in the right. summertime. Yeah. We used to do that with Friendlies. Okay. I think Friendlies is it's kind of the same thing, but Friendlies, and they had food. But yeah, going friendly. Go, but with all yeah. due respect, friendlies is not the same as Carvel. I, I don't know. We, right? well, we didn't have cookie puss in the well of a cake. Uh, I mean, so that's okay. You know. All right. So I, this, I, I knew we'd finally get something we could get into. And how genius is that? One shape becomes what five or six different things. It's cookie, brilliant. Cookie puss was genius. He was cookie well, puss was amazing. He was well of dad. Yeah, it was everything. Yeah, fudgy the whale. Fudgy the whale. Fudgy yeah. the whale. Yeah. And, cookie and puss. Father's Day was well of dad. Yeah, See? yeah. It was just, but and, but and I got to tell you, it was Santa too. Turned upside down too. I, I got to tell you though, I love Carvel, but I like Baskin Robbins ice cream cakes better. Than Carvel, in part because it has actual cake in it. Yeah, your, your thoughts, Tom? Um, well, my, my favorite at when I was a kid growing up, there was a Dairy Queen down down the street, and Dairy Queen we would go there as kids. So you're picking the third then, party option. But then we were older, and when we were teenagers, that was our hangout. <laughs> I'm, now, so. I'm, gl- I'm glad that you you were sitting on the subject because folks who have listened to previous podcasts or if you've heard me on the radio, sometimes I a guest host for Chris Cuomo on Sirius XM channel 124. I have a debate of the day. And I present an issue and I say, you must choose one side. This is one case where I don't want to bring people together. I want to force them to choose. You have to choose red or blue. You have to choose one side. Of the other. And the most popular question I've ever had that I am dying to hear your response to, Tom Colicchio, is pancakes or waffles? If oh, you could only choose one. Yeah, there is no third party option. There is no French toast. There is no Howard, there's no Howard Schultz or, or Ross Perot. You must pick one. <laughs> Pancakes or waffles? No Jill America Steins. Wants no Jill Steins in this one. No Jill Steins. Awesome. I like that. Um, easy pancakes. Why? One of the first things I made as a kid. Really? Yep. I looked at my mom making pancakes and said, "I can do that." And so I remember waking up, and my son just did this recently. He, he woke up and on his own made pancakes. My nine-year-old. That's a big and deal. I looked at it and said, "I crack an egg." I mean, it was like Andrew my box mix, but so you crack an Still. egg, you put some milk in there. I, I could do that. My kid's three. Like the idea of him it. making his own pancakes is like heaven to me. Yeah. I would love to see my kid crack open a box of anything <laughs> and make anything right in. now. <laughs> yeah, right now, he just climbs the refrigerator. I hope he doesn't fall backwards. Yeah, he's I like a you. spider monkey going up in there trying to get yogurt. Yeah, pa- pancakes. Okay, pancakes. so I want to. I want every every episode I, I ask folks to uh, think about you, you got into it, Tom. You're great about understanding that there are some folks out there listening, maybe you're having a bad day, maybe having a bad week, a bad year, a hard time. You've been, you know, kind of a rags to riches story. You've been an American success story. And part of why I was excited to have you on here is because you're an inspiration to other people. Do you have a, you know, a, a, any, any lessons learned as a leader, as as someone who's you know, many times probably grinded out with no TV cameras when nobody was watching. You know, do you have a message for that guy or gal that's out there, you know, grinding it out 
uh, on kind of how you got where you are? God, you know, it's a, it's a, that's a tough one. If I had a look at my career, I, I think I was lucky that I found something um, that I love to do that at the time I started doing it, I got in with the right people. I mean, I, I uh, sort of, I did my homework. I mean, I, I didn't go to culinary school. Um, I started cooking because I loved food. Um, there was a moment where uh, sort of the, the, the secret of, of food was unlocked. It was a funny story. Um, my dad, I was cooking at home and I would have been diagnosed with ADHD. All my kids are, have been diagnosed and, and official diagnosis, not, not diagnosis, not like a, uh, you know, we think he's hyperactive. Right. And so I would look at a recipe and I couldn't get through it. I struggled to get through it. I, 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 I couldn't understand what they were trying to do. I'd read it, you know, I keep reading it. I'd refer to it. It just was a struggle. And my dad, he was a correction officer in a county jail. And I'm not quite sure what this book was doing in, 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 the, in the library in the county jail, but he came home with a book by, by uh, a chef named Jacques Pepin and it was called La Technique. And in this book, there were some recipes, but Jacques stressed in this book that it was about techniques and methods, not so much about recipes. Mm. And once I saw that, I was like, I don't need recipes. I could just cook. I, if I understand how to roast a meat or braise a piece of meat or cook a fish or fillet a fish, then I can kind of do anything. And the rest of it is just kind of putting things together and understanding relationships of, of one food to the other. And boy, that changed, that changed my life. And so for me, if I didn't find that, I don't know what I would do. I was a terrible student because I was really hyperactive. I probably had a lot of issues with executive function. And, you know, I became the problem kid. Mm. I was in Catholic school, which mm. is probably where I shouldn't have been. And I just became the kid who was a problem. So I'm like, oh, you're going to label me a problem kid? I'm going to be a problem kid. Right. And I got lucky. I found food. And so my suggestion is even if it takes you – 10 different things that you need to try. Find something that you're passionate about. And if you, I mean, I remember once I started cooking, I was all in. I read everything I can get my hands on. So I knew who was who. I knew the restaurants I wanted to work in. And I spent 10 years in New Jersey looking at the skyline and knowing that there were great restaurants across the river, but I wouldn't go there until I thought I was ready to compete. Mm. And so I just think is you, you find that thing that you want to do and man, just dive in. Don't That's don't awesome. hesitate. Just just jump in and and you'll make your way. That's I mean, awesome. uh, I think I was lucky. My my dad, you know, he wasn't the kind of dad who sat down and had these long discussions about like your life. But my brothers, I have two brothers, um, and they're both successful in their careers. My my older brother um, was a CPA and now he's a CFO of a, of a, a company. Um, my younger brother is one of the most successful basketball coaches in New Jersey, in New Jersey history, mm -hmm. and that includes Bob Hurley. Mm -hmm. um, and um, my dad just somehow, and my mom, just without telling us, just made it known that, hey, find what you want to do and you'll, you'll be all right. That's uh, an amazing story. So that's it. And it started with a book that your dad got from inside the jail? Yep. Wow. At least that's the story that, that he told me. That he, wow. I, and I can't believe he was in a bookstore finding these books. But yeah, it was a book that was in the jail. Wow. Yeah. All right. So I, since we're on the basketball topic, I can't, yeah. I can't let you get off that. I mean- we're, NBA Finals is coming up. Have you been watching? And do you have a thought on basketball in general? I I haven't been. Uh, you know, I I don't. Maybe watch you could coach the Knicks. That might help. There's a couple teams. Maybe the Lakers. There's a couple teams out there. Yeah. That maybe nah. could use you or your brother to get them in no, line. No. Uh, I, you know, I I don't watch a lot of professional sports anymore. I stopped. I had a gambling habit when I was a kid. Uh, when I was young, in my twenties, and once I stopped, I went cold turkey. I actually won a whole football season and won 
which is you have to win like 70% of your bets if you yeah. if you win. Yeah. And I I the 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 person I was betting with um um we just had the running tab yeah. and at the end of the season he owed me money and I was like keep it I'm done <laughs> and I never gambled again wow. and I go to I go to Vegas because wow. I have a restaurant there and I sit wow. down and play this wow. black shit, but I never never gamble, but I stopped watching sports after that wow. it wasn't as interesting anymore yeah. so yeah. I don't watch I don't watch but I mean you know Steph is such a great I think just a great role model um, Steph Curry yeah Steph yeah. Curry is such a great so I, I love when Golden State wins I think I think because of him also uh, um uh, I love the Paul. I'm, uh, I'm God. Why am I forgetting the coach's name? Coach for Golden State. He's also not afraid to put his politics front yeah. and center. Um, uh, Steve Kerr. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind seeing them win again. All yeah. right. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. So I've got one one last question for you that I ask all the guests, um, and you've really taken us through. I think a really fascinating journey through your life and this intersection of politics and food and policy and grit and determination. And I ask everybody what's something that makes them angry, but Tom Kalicki, what's something that makes you happy? What makes me happy? Um, my dog. Your dog? <laughs> no, my, my family. Uh, when yeah. I go home and, and, you know, seeing my kids there and, and, and my, my wife, especially. And, and, uh, your wife's awesome. By and, the way. and, and, and She's really the amazing. home that we've created and, and our friends, I mean, to me, that's, that's how I kind of judge things nowadays. Um, you know, my real happy places are, are I have a house on the North Fork on Long Island and that's kind of my happy place. And we're heading out there this weekend and we have a, a, a close group of friends out there as well. And, you know, that's really it. At the end of the day, I think, you, you know, I'm happy when I'm with people I love and, and, um, uh, yeah, that's that's that's, awesome. that's 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 a good one, man. That's it. That's, that's a good it. one. It's, it's easy. Man. And that's I have a final my dog. Thing. I, uh, my dog makes me happy. So tell us about your dog. Oh, she's a flat coated retriever. She's ten years old. Dude, you're talking faster now that you're yeah. excited about your dog. Yeah. I love well, this. Well, you know, I, I'm, tr- is... I'm trying. I, I notice how these podcasts go because you try to get all this in a certain amount of time, so no, this, I got, it gets sped I, up. Dude, we got we got all bro- the time. When, when you broadcast it, you, it's on faster speed. And so all of a sudden, he, I'm trying not to do that, man. This is uncut. This is no commercials. Cool. You so, can curse. No, this is so a real conversation. My, my dog, she's a flat cover retriever. She's the sweetest thing in the world. Um, What's your dog's name? She, she, her name is Piper and okay. she's getting old. She's 10 years old. And, and, you know, I'm starting to think about like that. I'm going to you know, between the, you know, now and the next couple of years, like she's not going to be around and then starting to really bum me out. And she has an injury and she's limping now, but, um, you know, what do you feed? What does Tom Colicchio feed his dog? Okay, so we're on a new thing right now. This is going to sound really horrible um, because we were feeding her, we feed her kibble, and we had a, a low fat. She has pancreatitis, so she's on a low fat diet. But we recently, I'm sitting going, I have so much scrap stuff, meaning like ends of fish and stuff. Right, if right. I give her raw fish, like I fish, I fish. I'm a, yeah, I'm a fisherman. Yeah. It, she'll eat raw fish all day long. And so I'm starting to, like, once a week, you know, make something. We actually spent some time with, with my, my wife that I, she's a researcher and researches everything and spent some time on the right diet. If you're going to make food for your dog, um, and the right ratio of vegetables to grains, to meat or fish. And so, um, just recently I started making food for her. 
<laughs> I hate to say that. No, I, you but, know what? That's love, man. I mean, if, has, you, if you didn't, if you didn't make food for your dog, I would frankly yeah. question your love for, love for your dog. But because it's, it's what you do, man. Oh, wait, but, right? But we've been and, opening and, cans, and my wife finally yeah. said, though, she has this inflammation. She's limping around. I'm like, you know what? I think we can, we can fix this through diet. And so I was like, all right, you know, we have her on CBD. Yeah, your because- dog's been sitting there for ten years, going, "Hey, bud, what about me?" <laughs> hey, right? She gets some decent scraps every now and then. And I always sneak her food. You know, if there's a if there's a roast, her her her, her she kind of hit the lottery. Her jam like, she is there's a house that you end up in like to end up in Colicchio's house she, is a pretty she, good she, place she for did okay her, her 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 jam is you know I, I make a lot of chicken soup at home especially in the winter um and I sit there and when when I make chicken soup the whole pot the whole chicken goes in a pressure cooker 20 minutes water 20 minutes open it up vegetables go in five more minutes done great delicious that's it so then I take the meat off the bones but the meat that's kind of really stuck to the bones after we put the meat in the soup, I go and scrape all the bones down. She gets that. And it's also all the skin, all the cartilage and stuff. That's her thing. So, Dude, so yeah. If dogs so. go to heaven, they end up at your place in the North Fork eating <laughs> your chicken soup, man. Yeah, but she's- right, well, you, she's, you've been giving the, yeah. the dog a gift, an America gift. And I, as, as tradition is on this show, I have some gifts for you. Oh, so um, I'm going to hand you, this is a camouflage bag. It's Memorial Day weekend, so I'm sticking with the theme here. But um, there's a couple things in here, some of which I give every guest. Well, pretty much all of which I give every guest. So the first thing you've got is some new Angry American swag. Oh, I love that. For you and for, and for your wife and for the awesome. boys. Look at that. It's Made in America by Oscar cool. Mike, veteran-owned small business. You can oh, get cool. it online at, at angryamericans.us. You wear it when you're fishing. I think this we had Matto on you know last episode the two of you and a fishing I thing. To it. There's some magic here. We could get you two out fishing together. I, I, I fish. I fly fish. I tie my own flies, and I. I um, you for, could have a lot of side hustles for, man. for a got, short time. Of, for short fishing, time, dog food. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. For, for two years, I was a correspondent for MSNBC until the Trump presidency, and they were I like, remember. "What do we need a guy doing food policy for? Get out of here!" Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I would love to to go out fishing with Rachel. I'm, right. I'm a huge fan. I actually listen to that podcast. I have one question for you. Can I yeah. can I do a question? Sure. Um, you serve the country. You're doing a, a ton of work now with the vets right now. When are you running? I'm running for my life, man. No, 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 no. No, Seriously. I mean it. Seriously, I mean, man. I talked to, you know, uh, I think I talked to Sarah Jessica Parker about this. You know, like I, you know, I think number one, uh, I'm an independent and that's part of what this show is about okay. is that I'm unaffiliated. I'm an independent. And unless you are, hold on, don't jump ahead to the gifts yet. You, guys, <laughs> you know, you, so the, uh, the, the challenge really is like, there's not a, if you want to serve, which I, I always want to serve and I want to try to find a way to make an impact. But as an independent, especially in a place like New York, like unless you're Michael Bloomberg and a billionaire, there's really no way. And I think that's part of why the system is broken. Like many people have said the political system is broken. If you are an independent, if tomorrow I ran in New York, okay, where the, the democratic machine is so strong and so heavy, it wouldn't happen. But beyond that for me, Tom, like the no shit is that I want to find the way I can make the most impact. And I think media is that place right, right. now. Got I look it. at people like Rachel. I look at, look at how powerful Hannity is, right? right? I mean, they're able to drive policy today. We had a really great conversation on an issue that I don't think a lot of folks heard about and maybe my audience didn't know enough about. So for me, honestly, that, that's where I want to be. Um, and I've also, I raised money in a nonprofit for 15 years right. and that shit sucks. I, I, I do I, not I, want to be raising money. That's one of the reasons right? I won't run. That's, yeah. That's one of the reasons, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's a that. terrible part of it. Yeah. Like people don't know behind the curtain that my friends that I know that are in Congress, you don't read, you don't have a life. You're just, you're time. constantly dialing for dollars. So maybe if you and I start a fly fishing company or a dog food company and I become a billionaire <laughs> and after you run for governor of New Jersey, 
Now, the next thing I have for you, we're going back to the gifts, right? And this is a, this is, this is a risky one to go with Tom Colicchio, okay? So all season, I'll hold the mic for you. I'll hold the mic for you because this is audio. This is, this is really cool. It's so this is a camel bag. This is a camel inside cool. the bag. You know, all season long, I've asked all my guests uh, to choose, make a very tough choice again. Now, this is probably sacrilege for you. Uh, this is great. But so, we've, so, got, we've so got peeps. These are peeps. We've got blue, Th- these are peeps. Yellow, yellow, and pink. Yeah. And I ask each guest to tell me which one they, they would choose and why. Okay, here's the deal. Blue is my favorite color. Uh, pink, for a lot of reasons, are, are really cool, especially because of, of, of breast cancer awareness. Is the color pink. Awesome. But... Peeps, yellow's the original. And you got to go with the original. Come on, you can't... You, I'm telling you, man. Sarah are, Jessica are, Parker in a previous episode called them the OG of peeps. Yeah, these, exactly. It's the OG of peeps. Chickens, like little chicks are yellow. They're not blue and pink. Do they... I mean, yeah, in your cool. expert palate, is there is there a taste differential between the three? Absolutely not. I haven't had one of these in about 20, 20 years. <laughs> All right. Well, they'll, they'll uh, they'll my, be... my kids will love these. My wife will hate me for giving them to the kids. Okay. But the kids will get these. And the last thing I have for you, Tom, is each week... Uh, I try to pick a... Uh, yeah, I'm going to tell you what this is before I open it up. Okay, go ahead. Because it's, it's either one of two things, but I actually think this is Rodham Rye. You got to open it and find out. <laughs> you got to open it and find out. Well, so, let, me just, let me just say, it, it's, it's wrapped in, in, in silver, right? so I can't see what it is. I know it's liquid. It's, it's, it's kind of feeling like it's alcohol, um, and I happen to know... I'm going to pick up your mic so that you can open it. This is audio, and you can hear... This is the sound of Tom Colicchio opening... A bottle. No, regular listeners, you know it's... Oh, it's no, Jefferson. Oh, cool. Awesome. So each week I pick a, an American whiskey of some kind that uh, I go to the liquor store and I, and I try to be inspired by what I see. Now, this one was kind of easy because it's Jefferson and yeah, this you is, can tell this folks is, what it says. This is awesome. So It's, it's, it's the just, chef's collaboration. Yeah, yeah, let me see who... I didn't plan. I walked in a liquor store and there's there's a bourbon called a chef's collaboration. Yeah, yeah so this so is... So I kind of had to get that one for you, right? Yeah, so I, I can't see... I don't know the other signature, but this is definitely Edward Lee, who's a, a, a great uh, Korean-American chef who's in Louisville. Um, now he's in DC, yeah. actually. And so he is one of the collaborators on this. And I knew I knew he was doing this project. And I I hate to say, I, I, I don't know who the other chef is on this. I can't tell. Well, it's, it's from Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, I thought that you could enjoy it on your boat this weekend or when you're fishing or maybe slip it to your dog. Yeah. When- I, don't, I don't drink when I'm out fishing, but um, I will drink afterwards. Um, I'm also, I, 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 I love bourbon. Um, and this stuff, is, man. this is a fantastic one. And uh, I just spent, you know, last season at Top Chef, we were in, in Kentucky. We spent, uh, I spent about six weeks in, in Kentucky and uh, awesome place. Uh, Louisville was, it was really eye-opening because it was much more progressive than I thought Louisville it was going to be. Awesome. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, um, but um, awesome bourbon. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of great bourbon out there right now. So, uh, well, awesome. This is, great. I appreciate your, uh, your passion. I, yeah. I didn't know, man, that was, I'm rolling the dice here. Like to hand you anything that goes into your body and you know, that's a risky, you know, you, you could have fried me on this one, but I did okay on the peeps. No, this is awesome. So, okay so on the I'm looking at the side here. Ed, Ed Lee is the chef and okay. then uh, Trey Zoller. I couldn't, I couldn't tell the singer. Trey Zoller is the master, uh, distiller over there. Um, what I love about this on, on the side, it says ridiculously small batch. Yeah. I have a restaurant that we just opened up called small batch. So this is pretty cool. I didn't plan that. <laughs> I didn't plan that, but I'll take the coincidence. Um, I will, I will drink this and think of you this weekend. Well, and we will think of you. You've given us a lot to think about in this show. I really want to thank you man for breaking it down with me for joining us on angry americans and for your voice like Thanks. you're you're out there doing a lot that's helping a lot of people 
And um, especially around the summertime, as we think about Memorial Day, we think about the summer coming up and, and think about this important time in American history. You know, you're, you're a person who's defined what it means to be American in some way, and I think you're going to define the future. So I'm really grateful and thankful well, that you joined me on the show. Thanks. And, and I, I think this is a good point here. Memorial Day, while you're out there, you know, eating your, your, and celebrating, which is great, there's, there are 42 million Americans in this country that struggle to put food on the table every single day. And we can fix that. We can end that. It just takes political will and it takes people to understand the issue and demand that we fix it. And, and the reason you should want to fix it is because it makes us a stronger country. I sat next to a general when I testified years ago in, uh, in, in a committee that I talked about earlier um, for mission readiness. Do you know the organization? Yeah. And he said, National security, he made an argument for why feeding people and having good nutrition is in best interest of national security. 25% of the recruits that show up aren't fit to fight. Yeah. And so when you think about 42 million Americans that are hungry, you think about children who can't live up to their potential. Those first thousand days especially are so important for brain development. They're not going to be able to contribute to their fullest to this country and what makes this country really great. And that is everybody participating and everybody staying involved. You need good nutrition to do that. And so this isn't about a handout. This is about what's good for the country, making sure that people have nutrition and they're properly fed. That's a good note to end on, my brother. Thank you Cheers, for man. joining me, man. Have a great summer. Really Thanks. appreciate it. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, the great Tom Colicchio, an outstanding American joining us on Angry Americans this week, live from the Classic Car Club. Thanks for being with us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Every episode, I want to share with you a way to turn your anger, frustration, motivation, and or inspiration into action. An action that shows this is more than just a show. It's a community. A community of concerned and connected citizens who don't just complain or attack, but a community that takes action. A righteous action that shows angry Americans can be impactful Americans. An action that'll make you feel good and make a difference. And this episode is about the power of food in politics. And this week, Memorial Day week, is also about remembering all those who can't barbecue this summer. All those who gave everything. So we could take a weekend to forget about everything. All those who came before and should never be forgotten. Memorial Day is the unofficial start of summer. Originally, it was known as Decoration Day. It originated in the years after the Civil War and became an official federal holiday only in 1971. Now, the Civil War ended in the spring of 1865 and claimed more lives than any conflict in U.S. history. And it required the establishment of the country's first national cemeteries. By late 1860s, Americans in towns and cities started holding springtime tributes to countless fallen soldiers. And they would decorate their graves with flowers 
and they would recite prayers. Now, it's not exactly clear where the tradition originated, but in 1966, the federal government declared Waterloo, New York, the official birthplace of Memorial Day. Waterloo, which first celebrated the day back on May 5th, 1866, was chosen because it had an annual community-wide event, which closed businesses and, and residents decorated the graves of soldiers with flowers and flags. But that's where it really officially started in America. Since then, Memorial Day has become a time of family and friends and mattress sales. But it's also a time that underscores the deep, profound, civil-military divide in America. It's a time when many veterans go to a cemetery and many Americans go to the beach. But to each his own. No matter what you choose to do, you can still take a minute to stop wherever you are and remember the fallen. All those we've lost in combat since the founding of our nation. And for me, that means soldiers I serve with, like Specialist Jason Bonts, Sergeant Major Eric Cook, Specialist Robert Wise, who was 21 years old when he was killed outside our forward operating base by a roadside bomb. And for me, it means people like my friend Ed Iwan, Lieutenant Ed Iwan. Ed and I served together. We went to infantry officer basic school together in Fort Benning, Georgia. He was a really nice guy from Nebraska. He had red hair and a friendly smile. Ed was the son of Kenneth and Donna Iwan. He died in Fallujah, Iraq, when his convoy came under attack. He was directing his dismounted troops when his Bradley got hit by an RPG. Ed was 28 years old. He was kind. He was my friend. And I miss him. And I don't want him to be forgotten. He didn't serve a president or a war. He served his country. He was a true soldier. And he served knowing he might die. Just like all of us who put the uniform on. But he did it in part so we could enjoy life and so we could live free. Now, each year Memorial Day, a national remembrance takes place at 3 o'clock local time. And my recommended action this week is to do what Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America started a decade ago. Go silent. It's gotten pretty big over the years. We ask everyone, no matter where you are, to take one minute to go silent. Whoever you're with, just observe a one-minute moment of silence. And after you do it, take a photo and use the hashtag GoSilent. Share who you're going silent for. If you don't know someone, share why you're grateful for those who gave their lives. Or a photo of where you are. It's simple, it's easy, and it's powerful. Every year, wherever I am, whoever I'm with, I ask our crew to hold hands, just bow our heads and breathe deeply and listen to wherever we are, and just be together in gratitude. It's just one minute, but it's really powerful. There's an inscription on my friend Ed Iwan's gravestone, and it reads like this. Ed lived every moment. He stood in the rain, heard the thunder, danced to the lightning, and believed in rainbows. He'd want us to do the same. To stand in the rain, to dance in the lightning, to believe in the rainbows especially this summer, and especially in times like these. I'll teach my boys about Ed, and to be like him. That's what he deserves. That's what our children deserve. 
And that's what America's future deserves, especially in times like these. And if you've got a story to tell or a resource to share, use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active. Like America, this show continues to be a great experiment. Definitely a work in progress. But thank you to all of you that shared your thoughts on what you think about it. I've gotten tons of great emails, tweets, and comments on all our social media. So keep them coming. And lots of suggestions for issues we could dig into. Please keep those coming as well. I'll try to review them all and tackle as many as I can in episodes to come. If you dig this show... Please share it with your friends. Tell them to check out the link to angryamericans.us. Just one hour each week, and I promise you'll leave informed, entertained, and inspired. And check out angryamericans.us for links to our YouTube page, which has videos of my entire interview with Rachel Maddow. It's also got a video with Peter Berg, Agent Pooh, Willie Geist. You can see what the classic car club looks like inside. You can check out clips from our On the Street segment, uh, which I'll have more of coming soon. And if this is your first episode, just go back and please check out the others. And big thanks to a lot of folks who helped make this episode happen. The Classic Car Club in Manhattan. Again, thank you for letting us record the show there. The team at IAVA for fighting the good fight, especially on weekends like this. Eric Schonborn, Ben Stoffer, Ed Salego, and Chris Rosenthal. Big thanks to you guys for helping out with the videos, graphics, social media, and all things. Brendan Pfeiffer, Bill Schultz. Uh, Cadence 13 for the air support Righteous Media for powering this whole enterprise Tom Colicchio, my guest this week For an amazing conversation My family, my amazing wife And two boys This will be my first Memorial Day not working And that will be a change But it's a change I'm excited about Knowing I'll be up in the mountains with you guys Most of all My deepest thanks to you For tuning in If you dig this show, please tell your friends to check it out Or maybe just pick three of your angriest friends. And if you're on Apple device, please leave the show a quick five-star review. Unless you hate the show, then please go leave Tucker Carlson's podcast a one-star review. Um, But also, I've been hosting on Sirius XM Radio, channel 124, backing up my friend Chris Cuomo. You may know him from CNN. Uh, But I've been hosting his daily show, Let's Get After It, on the radio. So I want to thank him for that opportunity and thank all of you who checked me out over there as well. I'll be back on the mic on Friday, June 14th, and also Friday, June 28th, maybe sooner. And hopefully Chris Cuomo will join me as a guest in the future. But that's XM radio channel 124 uh and if you haven't checked it out yet we've got some very cool angry americans t-shirts up on the angry americans website they're 100 american made which is tough to do but they're made by veterans they are super cool looking and comfy they'll look awesome at your summer barbecue or your summer baseball game or for father's day and every one of us knows some dude who needs a shirt that says angry on it right Well, check it out. And remember, it's okay to be angry and know you're not alone, especially this summer. We're all a little angry, and that's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that anger into positive impact, especially this summer. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. America. 